Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. And welcome back to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host, Dave Elliott. And on this episode, I'm chatting with Neil Patel, production designer for season two and three of the Apple TV series Dickinson. Dickinson is a comedy which audaciously explores the constraints of society, gender and family from the perspective of a rebellious young poet, Emily Dickinson. Set in the 19th century, the series is a coming of age story that finds Emily to be the unexpected hero for our millennial generation. Neil uses his training in architecture to bring the many intricate designs to life that reflected the look of the period. One of the main focuses for season two was the Evergreens house, which belonged to Emily's brother Austin and his wife Sue. This house is an ornate Victorian Italian style villa home draped in a rich palette of blues, greens and golds. Another focus for this season is the rise of newspapers and automated printing presses. This gave Neil the opportunity to design an elaborate steam driven printing press that becomes a visual touchstone for several episodes. Other stand out designs include a luxury spa and the Boston Opera House, the latter having been particularly exciting for Neil, with his background in designing for both Broadway and opera productions. Neil is a trained architect who has designed for film, television and theatre, working on projects such as Who Lose the Path, HBO's In Treatment and Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. He's also been working with Talking Heads frontman and artist David Byrne and writer Marla Gnonkar on a new immersive experience called Theatre of the Mind. If you'd like to hear more behind the scenes interviews, don't forget to subscribe where Wherever you get your podcast by searching for Geek Town Radio. This also gives you our weekly Geek Town Radio podcast, which brings you all the latest TV, filming, and gaming news. You can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk for daily news stories and all the latest UK and US TV premiere dates. Here's the interview with Neil Patel, production designer for seasons two and three of Apple TV's Dickinson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
It's nice to be chatting with you. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we connected. So whereabouts are you? Are you in New York? I'm in New York, yeah. I'm in production again, so I'm up early. So Ah, good. are you back on Dickinson again? Or Yeah, this- we're prepping um, season three. Oh, cool. Very cool. I'm glad that's back up and running because you finished season two prior to the pandemic. So this is, is this your first experience doing it in the pandemic? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. We finished about a year ago, actually a little more than a year ago. And then I went straight on to another project that shut down because of the pandemic. And yeah, this is, I I started working again in July, August on commercials. That was kind of through the beginning of the fall. And then we started prepping this in November. So I've been on it since November. Yeah, it's weird doing this during pandemic. That's for sure. I can imagine. People seem to be managing to find ways through it, which is really good. Be talking to like, you know, composers and VSX people and they're all kind of safely bunkered away in things, but the people that are actually on sets and having to do stuff. But it's, you know, they're they're doing a lot. I mean, it's just constant testing. That's the way they're kind of, I think, keeping it it safe. Having the uh, swab stuck up your nose multiple times. (laughs) Exactly. It's a weekly thing. (laughs) Wow. Oh, dear. So before we get into talking about Dickinson a bit, could we just do a little bit of background about how you got into the industry in the first place? Sure. Yeah. My background is in, well, originally uh, I studied architecture and then I ended up being a theatrical set designer right. for many years. And uh, I worked in theater a lot. I mean, in New York, off Broadway, Broadway, throughout the country. And in Great Britain, too, I worked at, I've worked at the Royal Court and West End and all over the place. But um, primarily through writers that I knew from the theater, I ended up crossing over into production design maybe about 15 years ago with smaller projects, but then much more in earnest about 10 years ago. I did uh, in treatment for HBO, yeah. the showrunner Warren Light, who had done his play on Broadway, and he, he now runs SVU, actually. Ah, um, right, yes. Yeah, and that, that kind of led to the film and television world, which I, you know, very happily inhabit now. So, the, And then since then, I've done, you know, I've done some features and and other, uh, last big series I did was The Path for Hulu, but I kind of bounce around in those worlds now. Yeah, yeah. I always find the production designer side of things of how people get into it quite intriguing because they seem to come from lots of different backgrounds i've spoken to people who come from architectural backgrounds and like it's great you get all the advantages of being an architect without having to build something that stays up forever (laughs) this is true yeah that's true and also you get much more immediate gratification because you get to see it done much much more quickly than the years and years of Yeah, I still have friends who I went to school with who are in the architecture profession. They're always, it's interesting. They're now getting, you know, their buildings done, but it takes a long time in architecture. With Dickinson, where's it actually filmed? Is it filmed around New York then? Yeah, all the interior sets are at Kaufman Astoria, which is the oldest soundstage in New York, or maybe not. I don't know. It's it's the long, it's it's one of the few soundstages that was built to be a soundstage. Right. Most of them are converted warehouses and so forth. Well, and Steiner. But anyway, we're at Kaufman. And then our exteriors are at a place called the Bethpage Historical Village, which is in Long Island, which is an interesting spot, very good for our show, because they basically transported 18th and 19th century buildings from all over Long Island and put them on one plot of land to recreate a 19th century village. So everywhere you look, there are only buildings that are period appropriate and there are no power lines or modern things that we have to worry about. So we build the first floors of 
of the houses of Homestead and Dickinson there. Mm -hmm. And so we shoot all the scenes practically that happen outside the houses there. And then we have various other locations there, the church, the general store, all the kind of town of Amherst things are there. That's very cool and quite handy you have that there. We have a, have a similar thing. I'm in Staffordshire in the UK and we've got the Black Country Museum, which they use for Peaky Blinders every so often. Oh, uh, really? Is that where they do it? Yeah. Yeah. I, they, they shoot sort of all over the place and they shoot like Liverpool and places like that because that has the old architecture and stuff. But uh, they do use the Black Country Museum sometimes as well because it's the same sort of thing where they've created this village of period appropriate houses by doing exactly what they've done there in sort of of lifting it brick by brick bring and just, it, yeah. yeah so it's great I, I many many a time as a kid doing educational trips there and stuff so it's great that they've got something like that in new york yeah. one of the big things for the second season because you didn't do the first season that was lauren weeks wasn't it and then you yeah took lauren weeks, the first season and the biggest thing was we built another the other house evergreens which is a very different style of house and it kind of it's it all related to the story that's being told in the second season which is about these characters growing up yeah austin sue get married their father, to great expense, builds them a house to keep Austin from going to Detroit or wherever he was going to go off. And, right, yeah, yeah. and it's built in a, you know, the Homestead House is a kind of classic New England federal style home, very kind of symmetrical and rational. And the Evergreens is this kind of, I think the, officially it's called Victorian Italianate Villa. So it's a kind of Victorian fantasy of an Italian villa in Massachusetts. So it's a, it's a much more showy. And because Sue is entertaining all these salons. We wanted it to be a kind of glamorous, luxurious, very, very in contrast to Mrs. Dickinson's world across the street. So we looked towards, you know, there actually is an Evergreen's house in Amherst. We visited it yeah. and um, I kept the ground plan and the basic shape of the exterior, but the interior is much more elevated just to kind of contrast, you know, because they did a beautiful job with Homestead. It looks beautiful, but this needed to look a different, have a different kind of glamour, I guess, or for lack of a better word. So like we did um, fabric covered walls and higher ceilings and columns. There's more gilting. It's just a, a showier, more aspirational space. So that was a big thing. And then the other, the, the, that is really tied to then a big thing we did in episode six is that the characters go to see an opera. And Emily, they go see La Traviata, which would have been a new opera and, and a scandalous opera at the time. Yeah. And Violetta's character, you know, she's also a kept woman in a salon. Emily conflates with Sue in her salon. So we knew all this because I had all the scripts in the beginning of the season so I could kind of craft this so that the European Parisian aspect of Evergreens is represented in the set of La Traviata that we see at the opera. So they, that was kind of just that, that kind of operatic scale of things is very much about the second season. And also, um, you know, we went to, they go to a spa, which would also have been a big luxurious thing to be able to do at the time and was very popular. And um, the other thing was this theme of fame which needed something of scale to represent it. So we created a 19th century period um, printing press. Yes, and, yeah. And and that was a, was a really fun project with the assistance of visual effects to kind of create the scale. Yeah, I was going to ask, because yeah. I mean, how much of that was physical and how much of the printing press was extension from visual effects? Everything in the visual effects is based on a real thing, but we only built two actual machines. Right. And then like even you see the pulleys, you know, and the 
flywheels, we only built half of them and then they're all kind of constructed right. to effect. But they were all, you know, everything was working, but it was, um, they shot the scene with the first two running and then the crew stayed there for about 12 hours moving the machines in, you know, it's like <laughs> where they would go. Yeah. And, you know, they had a motion control camera, so they were able to, to construct that. But that, that came out really well. It was a fun project. Also, the printing presses, because we there's a lot of stuff about printing presses in the show because Henry has his more primitive printing press in the barn where he's making his abolitionist paper, yeah. printing uh, the Constellation. So the, the, we learned a lot, the art department and the set decoration department about printing presses of the time. Because it was a huge change, you know, this is the height of the, the, the middle of the Industrial Revolution. So there's huge technological changes. And of course, the ability to like multiply papers like that mm. gave Emily the ability to have her poem read by thousands of people. And, and of course, Elena very cleverly, as she does in the show, connects that to the aspects of social media now mm. versus, you know, the printing press then. So it's a fun, yeah. a fun to tackle. Yeah. I mean, the way that the show is crafted and, you know, the, you mentioned the social media stuff there is quite interesting in that the whole feel of the show is sort of has this very contemporary feel mainly with the things like the dialogue and the music so I think that sort of highlights particularly the production design and the costume design as being even more important because they're the things that kind of ground you in the fact that it is still a period drama even though the style of it is far more contemporary so that, yeah, that sort of adds more pressure yeah. to you I guess yeah no certainly and that, that um, you know it's interesting because what I when I when I was asked you know as approached about doing the second season I watched the first season and what I loved was that tension between the language and the music obviously and yeah. the look but and the look you know everybody's very very um, thorough and could do real due diligence of period detail like we don't there, there are actually no anachronisms in the production design or the costume design but we definitely take liberties or we choose the details that we like to support the story or the look of the show so that's a very important process in the in the you know like would they have had printed silk fabric wall coverings in Amherst in 1859 probably not but they existed in the world at the time and it tells right. us today. so we may we definitely take liberties like that but but generally we are very much uh, period production design so that's a challenge but I, I feel like in the end result, it does come off with the clothes and, and the music. It, it has a modern sensibility for sure. Yeah, I really love the show. That sort of juxtaposition of the of the kind of old and the new style, I think, works wonderfully. And it works so well for telling her story as well. When it comes to dressing the interiors of things like the houses and stuff, when you're looking for things like wall coverings and wallpaper and, and stuff, is it, are you just kind of going and researching what patterns and things were around at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I work with uh, the set decorator, Marina Parker, who did season one as well as, you know, she's brilliant. And she she and her team do a lot of research and we look at patterns. I mean, we actually, the rugs, which at the time, wall-to-wall carpeting was very popular, which you wouldn't have thought, but that was the Victorian style. And they actually have found weave manufacturers in the Northeast here that still make those broad loom rugs. So wow. we go to the, using almost the same technology, I mean, with electrical energy instead of steam or whatever they were, you know, manual, but where it's basically, so those are authentically, you know, those are very much what they would have been at the time. And we are choosing from pattern books, from actual patterns, the same with um, the wallpapers 
for sure. Though there are certain things like um, the, I think the wallpaper in Austin's library comes from a hatbox lining from the period. So we do things like that, too. <laughs> so, I mean, it's period and it's a pattern from the period. It may not have been intended to be a wallpaper, but we definitely so we mix creative idea, you know, fancies like that. But with but generally everything you see there and like we, in the, the uh, Evergreen Parlor, all the paintings, they all had to be paintings that they could. You know, there was a lot of Hudson River School and then copies of old masters which was a very popular thing at the time to buy kind of a showy thing to have yeah. in your home yeah which is weird because that's what like trump has in his <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah out of a lot of the things that you did for this season i guess something like the opera house must have been quite an interesting thing particularly for you to do having got this extensive background in theater and opera design yeah yeah it was that was a really fun project and um, I mean, that period of stagecraft is really interesting. And also that period of theater in the United States is not well documented because there weren't a lot of actual theater, you know. And and uh, as I discovered when I was researching, they were all wood structures. So most of them burned down every 10 years. So <laughs> right. oldest, I think the oldest standing opera house in the United States is the Philadelphia Academy of Music. I think it's about that period, about 1860. But of course, it's bigger than what we wanted. I think they used it in the Age of Innocence, actually, for that. But anyway. Anyway, so we had to, we, that wasn't going to work. So we had to kind of figure out, we had to find a theater that we thought would work. So we looked all over the place and then we found this place. It's actually in a, a, a kind of defunct movie house in Jersey City, Lowe's, a Lowe's theater. The theater itself was completely in shambles and it was also a 3000 seat theater. It was not going to work. But when we went through the lobby, I noticed that the lobby was designed like an opera house. It had a horseshoe shape with the boxes. It was very gilted and definitely the kind of fantasy that Emily would have had about going to an opera house. So we we actually built the opera house in the lobby of the Lowe's <laughs> and um, we completely redid the lobby as the orchestra and then we built a stage and built the set and we used actually the, the boxes, the kind of structure and balustrades around the boxes are the existing architecture. And then the backstage, we used all sorts of nooks and crannies that exist there and then um, actually Adelaide's dressing room is actually the women's bathroom <laughs> <laughs> we converted into sort of like the powder room adjacent to the bathroom in an old 1920s movie house wow that's awesome um, yeah it was really fun so what is the sort of split in finding locations versus you building sets for this? we I mean most of our work is on built sets I mean the uh, the only things that we did on location last season were the opera house the spa which was a North Long Island, Gold Coast mansion that we used. I'm trying to think what else. Oh, the very first scene when she goes for her eye exam in Boston. Oh, yes. That's actually in the Steinway mansion, the Steinway Piano Company, oh, really? family, which is actually an 18, built in 1855. And it, it's it's a bizarre place. It, it, it's near Rikers Island in the middle of kind of an industrial wasteland in <laughs> Queens. And then there's this beautiful um, 19th century home in the middle of it. It must have, I mean, it was the countryside when it was built. Yeah, I guess. Area. But um, so we, you know, we tr we try to find period buildings in the, you know, in our New York area that work. But it's it's pretty infrequent. I mean, those are the only times we left the Bethpage or Coffin. Otherwise, everything else is on stage or out at the village. So when you're 
when you build something like the new house set, the uh, Evergreens, you build something like that. Is that now integrated as part of the sort of village that they have down there? Uh, yeah, no. You know, we, we leave them up while we're shooting, but we take them down when we're not there. <laughs> right. So okay. we have to put them up, which was a bit of a Sisyphusian task this year because we took it down thinking, you know, especially the sets in Kaufman and nothing else has been there since. And then we're putting them back up again. <laughs> yeah, no, we have to take them down. We, we actually toyed with the idea of leaving them up and kind of leaving a description for the people who visit the village, but it's a little complicated and there's lots of, anyway, boring yeah. props like liability and things. But yeah, well, the other... Yeah. Yeah, they're also not complete facade. You know, we only build the first floor, so there's a band of chroma blue above them where ah. Visual X extends them. So they're cool, but they're not like the same charm that the other buildings have. Yeah, no, that makes sense. What would you say would be the most either interesting or, or maybe complicated set you had to work on for the second season? Definitely putting Evergreens together was the big challenge. And I'd say the Evergreens opera combination with the biggest challenges for me i think i mean there were other oh there were the oh there was one other and 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 just because the scale of them just because building that entire house from scratch and you know everything sourcing and defining the palette took a long time but we fortunately we had three months of prep so we had time to do it the other big challenge was the maze because there are no hedge maze actually there are hedge mazes in your part of the world but there aren't big ones here right so that was not something that we could shoot on location so we ended up um, planting a section of it, a very small section of it, where you have the actual scenes and then the rest is visual effects. But that was a very complicated, I mean, finding enough matching trees to create. I mean, we weren't creating like a privet head maze that, you know, it's very sculpted. It was more of a wilder version of it. Mm. But even just that and planting them and keeping them alive and making sure we could get, get it, you know, because we don't have a, that much time. So that was quite a challenge and also a little bit more nerve wracking because it's so many aspects that are out of your control, like weather and nature and yeah. their plants are going to survive or look good. And by the time you get to shooting them, but they, it worked out, it worked out well, but it was, um, that, I think they, the greens department bought over 200 trees. Wow. Uh, we had to get some pretty serious machinery to dig the trenches and plant them and then mulch them and make sure that they were in, in ready for us to shoot. So that was it. And then, yeah, that, that, and then, definitely evergreens the opera and and the printing press that was quite a challenge definitely did you end up going back and doing a lot of research for the printing press is you, is, how accurate is that did you manage to get it one machine is pretty accurate we did a lot of research and we also um the set decorators found a consultant who came in who was like a one of these we find these people there and there <laughs> you know who just know a lot about this period and he was wonderful and he was actually there on the shooting day making sure that the action of the background people was appropriate. I mean, obviously our machines aren't really printing, but yeah. all the all the pieces are correct and the basic process that we're showing is how it would have been done. Okay, cool. Yeah. It looks really spectacular on screen. I mean, the entire show is just beautiful. I mean, it, oh, it's thank you. really, really lovely work. So you're working on season three of Dickinson at the moment. Anything else coming up that, you've, that you could talk about or is this the thing 
thing that's taking your focus right now? This is the thing that's taking my focus right now. And I'm, I'm uh, not sure what the next thing will be, but I do have one. I mean, I had one other project that's interesting. It's more in the kind of experiential theatrical world is I was working on this project called Theater of the Mind with David Byrne, the right. talking heads. Um, and that was supposed to open last summer in um, Denver, but that will happen probably in 2022. Okay. So that's a cool project, but that's a trickier one because people will need to be able to be together in confined spaces, but hopefully, right. hopefully yeah. months, <laughs> we can all do that again. Yes, that would be good. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, because I, I noticed looking back through your IMDb, you did work for a bit on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. I did, yeah. I adore that show and they are known for doing these stupid over-the-top stunts. Did you end up building anything ridiculous for that show? Oh yeah, we did so many. I mean, that was a, yeah, I did that for us. I think it was the second season. Yeah, it was a blast. Yes. Well, we did the, I don't know if you remember the second season when he had the whole thing with FIFA and the scandals of FIFA. Yeah. The pyro that was in the studio, that was my, under my um, <laughs> thing when he when he kind of tries to one-up the guy in, I can't remember which country, is somewhere in the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, who took out the, um, we did that. We did one of the mascots, the America, we did the whole um, capital with all the mascots. Right, yes. Came out. I'm trying, yeah, that would, that, that, and then we had to put up a billboard in Uruguay for the um, cigarette. The oh, yes. The, yeah, yeah, because the, the, one of the mascots is like a, a smoking lung, isn't it, I think? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is a relief. That was a fun show to work on. We would get those scripts on Wednesday and they, they tape it on Sunday. Like the, the pyro, I think we found out like Friday afternoon, they're like, we need a lot of pyro in the studio on Sunday. <laughs> and they're like phoning the fire department and <laughs> and so um that show definitely teaches you to be on your toes it's like doing commercials or something it's like you have to be yeah. really fast and but they're they they're a wonderful production they pull off amazing things yeah it, it's a phenomenal phenomenal show i i really really love that I'm going to let you go. A couple of final questions for you. First question is, what TV show are you watching at the moment? Oh, I most recently, I am watching Losing Alice. Right, yes, that's Apple. A, Apple. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> partly because I've worked with that director, Seagal Evan, and she's absolutely brilliant, I think. And yeah, and I can't binge it, so I'm going crazy to wait for the last two episodes. <laughs> I think it's amazing. I'm actually watching about, you know, because we can't do much in New York these days, so I do watch it. A lot of shows. I'm also watching The Investigation on HBO, the Danish show about the that horrible that submarine, right? Yeah, which is amazing because I, I during this pandemic, my wife and I binged Morgan, another right, Danish yeah. show. So we become huge fans of Danish actors now. So whenever we see a <laughs> Danish show, we have to watch it. <laughs> Those shows are are great. Those are the two Investigation at the moment and uh, Losing Alice. You get extra brownie points for for. Picking an Apple show as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and uh, lastly, if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, it can be something from the past, something that's present, or some sort of future genre, and it can't be one you've already worked on, what show would it be? I would want to work on my favorite shows, I guess. Uh, the Sopranos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Also, because my wife is from New Jersey, so I would I would love to work on anything Sopranos related. <laughs> yes, that that's a very good choice. I think that's come up a couple of times before. It's quite a popular one. That's so. <laughs> yeah. awesome. Well, I'll let you get back to uh, your day. I'm sure you're very busy prepping stuff. So uh, I'm really looking forward to the third season coming out. It's a great, great show, and uh, I will hopefully get to talk to you again at some point in the future. I hope so. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers. Guys. Bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.